0: Father, we really do just want to open our hearts up to you this morning to ask that you would speak to us, God, that you would prepare us for the trials that we may face, just like Terrence, difficulties that we are not expecting and that we don't know how to handle. Father, we long to handle these things with faith. We long to cling to Jesus. And Lord, in ourselves, we are so weak and unable to do that, but I pray. That this morning you would increase our faith, you'd increase our expectation, you'd give us a broader perspective of what you want to do in our hearts. Father, speak to us this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sam and his friends were up hiking in Alaska. They had been on a 30-day trip. I don't know how many of you have ever gone on a long backpacking trip. This was a really long trip, and it was a specially uh, designed trip for wilderness survival. He was part of a wilderness survival class, and they were on the last leg of this trip where they were learning how to survive in some of the roughest territory in the United States, and that's up in Alaska. Some of you are familiar with that area. Beautiful area to be in. But as they were hiking along this day, he was with seven other friends, and they were hiking along the trail when suddenly something happened, something that changed his life and the, the rest of their lives, or at least the rest of their trip. As they were hiking along, suddenly there was a blur and a flash in the trail in front of them. And, and all that Sam remembers hearing was, bear, run. And they looked, and suddenly there was a 1,400-pound grizzly chip bearing down on their group. Sam recounts the story like this. He said, we turned the corner and the person in front started screaming and yelling, bear, And we all turned and ran. I saw this brown something, this brown shape attacking my friends. I remember as I was running, I turned to look and it was maybe four feet behind me and it just launched on me. I remember it running behind me and the jaws just on my head and I thought, I'm going to die. I'm not going to live through this. Sam said that he did not get a good look at the bear, but a friend saw it stand on two legs, almost eight feet tall. It was this huge, snarling thing. As Sam was faced with this sudden turn of events, as he came around the corner in the trail, everything changed for Sam and his friends in their happy hike. It turned into a real survival situation. Thankfully, at this, uh, the bear went away after it was convinced that they were Gonna die, and it left, and they were able to use the supplies that they had to bandage each other up, to pitch camp, to drag each other into their tents, and to spend the night. They, they activated their uh, beacon that let uh, everybody know where they were, and they sent on a rescue team, but it still took all night for the rescue team to come and finally rescue, especially the four of them that were mauled significantly by this bear. It was a terrible situation. But in that moment, experts realized that Sam did the wrong thing. And his friends did the wrong thing. But I can't blame them. If I was there looking at this bear, I would have turned and run too. How about you? I think I would have run as fast as I could trying to get away. But as he described this bear, he said it ran faster than anything he'd ever experienced before. There was no way that he could have outrun this bear. And what should you do when a grizzly attacks you? They say what you're supposed to do is to immediately drop down and to play dead, to curl up and act like you have already died. And if you do that, apparently the bear will leave you alone. They didn't do that. They ran and they fought back once the bear began to attack. And because of that, they nearly lost their lives. Thankfully, they survived it. But it's difficult when you suddenly face a challenge that you weren't expected. When at work, things begin to go wrong. When in your family, something happens and, and it's not what you expected, how you react is sometimes just a visceral reaction. It's a reaction that you haven't maybe planned out. It's not what you would expect that you would do. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19 as we see somebody who had a very close walk with God who comes face to face with a challenge that they did not expect. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. We'll read through the story and then we'll come back and pick up some of the details. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Wow. What an incredible experience in the life of one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible. Elijah was somebody who comes suddenly on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 18, and he he walks up to King Ahab. I think it was actually 1 Kings chapter 17. He walks up to King Ahab and he tells him that there's not going to be rain for the next three and a half years. And he walks out with King Ahab absolutely in shock, not being able to respond or do anything. As he leaves, he immediately is directed by God to go to the brook Cherith, where he spends time drinking from the brook. And God does this amazing thing where he delivers him by sending ravens to feed him with bread from heaven. And then, when the brook begins to dry up, he goes to the, the town of Zarephath. And there, there's a widow who God has given instruction that this widow should feed him. And he asks that she take the bread and the oil that she was about to fix for her son before she died and to give it to him. And she goes ahead and she does that. Then, this amazing miracle happens for the widow that. The bread doesn't run out, and the flour doesn't run out, the oil doesn't run out the whole time that Elijah stays there. While he's there, her son gets sick, and no problem, he, though he dies, Elijah takes him, and he prays over him, and he brings him back alive to his mother. Amen. Then he goes up on Mount Carmel, and there he is on Mount Carmel. He challenges Ahab to bring the prophets of Baal four hundred and. 50 prophets of Baal and and 400 other prophets. And so there's 850 against one single man there on Mount Carmel in this standoff that's beyond anything that I can imagine to picture this. One man standing for God, 850 standing for false gods. And with a simple prayer, God brings fire down from heaven. And then he goes up and he, he prays longer on Mount Carmel and he, he prays for rain and God sends this massive storm. And, and then he girds himself and he begins to run down the mountain in this huge storm ahead of King Ahab for 28 miles. He runs a marathon down to Jezreel ahead of King Ahab so that Ahab can see the way down the mountain. Talk about a person who had a close walk with God. Talk about somebody who had seen God do incredible things in his life. If anybody should have had faith in God, it should have been Elijah, shouldn't it? If anybody should know that God is going to hear your prayers, that God is going to step up when you need him, I would think it would have been Elijah. And so when he gets to Jezreel and he comes there with with Ahab, Ahab and he part ways and he spends the night outside the city. Now remember, this is a massive storm. They haven't had a storm in three and a half years. We kind of understood what that was like this winter as we got rain for the first time it felt like in years. This massive storm is happening. He's outside this, this city. He's out there sleeping. And Ahab goes in and begins to tell Jezebel the story. Now notice in verse 1, when it talks about Ahab telling this story, what it says about it. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that who had done. Elijah, who, called fire, who brought fire down from heaven? Was it Elijah? No, it was God. Everybody on that mountain had acknowledged the Lord. He is God. The Lord, He is God. It was Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had called fire down from heaven. But Ahab goes and tells Jezebel that Elijah had done all these things. And he highlights especially that what Elijah had slain all of these prophets of the false God. So then I find it fascinating. In verse 2, look at what Jezebel does. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Now I'm not an expert in how to go about being a hitman. Um, I I don't know how it should work exactly, but if somebody were going to put somebody else to death, I don't know that I would go and tell them first, hey, you're going to be put to death in the next 24 hours. Just wanted you to know. I don't know if that's how you would do it. Hopefully you haven't even thought about that because we shouldn't be thinking about that. But Jezebel, if we put ourselves in her shoes, what is she doing? Is she really planning to kill Elijah? Why does she just send a messenger to Elijah to let him know, hey, I'm going to kill you? Could it be that she wanted Elijah to do exactly what Elijah did? Could it be that she didn't actually have the intent to come and to kill Elijah because she knew the fact that all of the people now felt that Elijah had this power because he prayed and fire came down from heaven. She knew that she was in this precarious situation. And what she counted on was that Elijah's faith would fail when he was threatened when he was faced down with a challenge that he wasn't expected, kind of like a grizzly bear, challenge, discharging him, that he would turn and run rather than stand his ground? Could it be that Jezebel had an idea that Elijah's faith just might fail at this point in time? I wish that at this point the story read totally different, but it doesn't. Jezebel, verse 2, it says, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Hello. She's talking about false gods who were not able to call fire down from heaven. She's talking about the prophets who were put to death, who were prophets of false gods. She's talking about a failed system, and she's threatening Elijah with it. But somehow in the darkness of that night, in the discouragement of having come from a mountaintop experience where Elijah had felt God's power and his closeness, somehow in the midst of that dark, rainy night, and hearing that messenger say, Jezebel's going to kill you, Elijah, that mighty man of God, turned and ran from an angry woman. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, it makes me think that I want to make sure that my faith is grounded. In James chapter 5 and verse 17, it tells us that Elijah was a man like you and I, that he had like passions as we did. He had a a similar experience as we did. He was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah is no different than you and me. We may look at his life story and we may think, wow, all these amazing things happened in Elijah's experience. And sometimes it would be great to just go in and look at each of those experiences. But for now, just think about this man of God who had this mighty experience with God. And yet in a moment, he turned and ran. So what I want to know is how do I avoid this mistake in my life? Because let's face it, if you haven't already, in your life, you're going to come up against Jezebels in your life. You're going to come up against gigantic grizzly bears charging you, and you're not going to know how to handle it. And in that moment, everything depends on your reaction at that moment in time. So how could Elijah have reacted in this moment that would have made everything different? I think back about the sermon series that we've been on, as we've looked at different people's journeys with God. Open in your bulletin, if you have it, There's the study guide for this week. On the back side of it is a summary of the different stories that we have looked at in our sermons. I want to go through each of these, and there's amazing parallels between each of these stories and that of Elijah. Because if you think about it, if in that moment Elijah had reacted differently, if he had held to his walk with God, it would have been a radical challenge to Jezebel. It would have speeded the reformation that Elijah so desperately wanted to happen. But because he turned and ran, it caused God's progress in the kingdom of Israel such harm. It hurt things so much. What if in that moment, Elijah had had the experience of Enoch? Do you remember back to our first sermon in this sermon series? If you missed it, they're all on the website. All of the study guides are also on the websites. We'll look at a few of those studies this morning. But do you remember Enoch? Enoch who's walked with God for 65 years until he had that child. Once he had that child and he held Methuselah in his arms. Everything changed for him because he recognized that we have a loving Father in heaven. As he held that child in his arms, he realized that we have a Father in heaven whose watch care over us is unstoppable. It's something that that we can trust in in every moment of our lives. This past week, I got to hold for the first time my niece, who was born at 3.57 a.m. on Wednesday. It was a precious moment in time and just to, to hold that child in my arms and just to, to know that the love that was poured out for that child. I shared about this a little bit in prayer meeting, but it's just incredible to walk into my sister-in-law's house and to see how they have been working on it for months to get it ready for this child. They have done everything possible to make the bedroom just right so that the crib is in the just the right place and the clothes are already hanging in the closet. Everything is prepared for this child because they love this child even though they haven't even, hadn't even seen this child yet. Everything was prepared for it. And as I see that kind of love that's poured out on a child and realize that, that that's human love, how much greater is the love of our Heavenly Father? How much greater is His watch care for my life? And so when I suddenly face those difficult challenges in my life, when you face those extreme situations that you don't know how to handle, what would it be like if in that moment we remembered that we're cradled in the arms of a Heavenly Father who knows no limits to His power, who's willing to do whatever it takes to preserve you, and to care for you to see that you are saved. I love what it says in Steps to Christ, page 85. It says, and God cares for everything and sustains everything that He has created. Each is tenderly watched by the Heavenly Father. No tears are shed that God does not notice. There is no smile that He does not mark. Think about that. When was the last time you shed a tear? When was the last time you smiled? God was watching that. God notices the details that take place in your life. There is no smile that He does not mark. If we would but fully believe this, all undue anxieties would be dismissed. Our lives would be not so filled with disappointment as now for everything, whether great or small, would be left in the hands of God who is not perplexed by the multiplicity of cares or overwhelmed by their weight. We should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many Have long been strangers. Oh, if only Elijah, in that moment when he had been woken up in the middle of the night and told that he's about to be murdered, if only at that moment he'd remembered that he had a loving heavenly father who was cradling him in his arms, who would watch out for him, who would care for him, even in this moment of extremity. If only Elijah had paused to remember that reality how much closer his walk could have been. And in that study, that week when we looked at the life of Enoch, we remembered how God is a God who constantly promises us bigger and better gifts, like Ephesians 3.20 tells us that he'll do above and beyond what we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. And that is the crucial point in this first part of what Elijah could have had. And that is that we, in our walk with God, daily pray for the Holy Spirit. And not even just daily, but constantly be asking for that power that works within us. Because it's through that that we come to recognize our loving Father. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. We'll be coming back to First Kings 19 in just a minute. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, we see what the Spirit does and how it teaches us that we are children of God. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba. That's like crying out, Daddy. Abba, Father. We cry that out because we've received the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we receive the Holy Spirit, He opens to our picture this realization that God is our loving Father and that He's watching out for every detail of our lives. Verse 16, then... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And when you're a child of the King, you don't have to run from the grizzly bear. You don't have to run from the angry queen. You don't have to run in your life when you're facing difficult circumstances. But you can turn to the Father who loves you and who will pour out His blessings in your life. What if Elijah had remembered that and not turned and ran? But he did run and you imagine the run that he made first kings chapter 19 tells us verse 3 and when he saw that he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there now he goes and he runs to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is 95 miles away. You remember the day before, he's been up on Mount Carmel. He may not have eaten anything all day on Mount Carmel. And now he gets up in the middle of the night. It's pouring rain, and he runs 95 miles south, running towards Egypt as fast as he can, running south. He gets to the very far reaches of Judah and gets to Beersheba, 95 miles south of there. Elijah's reaction was to run. And oftentimes, when we face challenges in our life, our first reaction is to spring into action, isn't it? When you face a difficult situation, the first thing that comes to mind is, how do I fix this? What do I do now to fix this problem? But if only Elijah had remembered the experience of Joshua, Joshua was an experience he should have remembered, a story that he should have known. He could have read Exodus thirty-three, eleven, which we looked at in our second sermon, where we looked at how when Moses talked with God face-to-face as a friend, Joshua, a young man, what would he do? He did not depart from the tent. He continued in the presence of God. He spent much time in God's presence personally in prayer with God. And because of that personal time with God, Joshua was the one who was able to go up on that ridge when they were having that battle and able to say, sun, stand still. And moon, stand still. And for 24 hours it stood still while they completed the battle. He was able to pray such incredible prayers because he'd spent much time alone with God. What if in that moment of extremity, Elijah had not turned and run, but he'd gone to his knees in prayer. That would have been one of the best ways for him to remember his loving father, to take time in communion with his father. That would have been what he needed at that moment to connect with the source of power, the only one who could really have delivered him from the angry Queen Jezebel. If only he'd taken time in prayer before running, he could have known whether he really should have run at all. No wonder Psalm 46 and verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. You can trust in your God when you take time to be still and to be in His presence. You learn things about Him. You recognize His goodness and you're able to have confident faith in Him even when you're facing that difficult challenge in your life. But he turned and ran. We see that in verse 3. And at the end of verse 3, it says something fascinating. It's a detail that didn't necessarily have to be included at this point. But notice what it says. is He runs south. He runs 95 miles. He's already run 28 the day before. He runs 95 miles, gets down there. And I don't know how long this took. It doesn't tell us exactly. But to run 95 miles is going to take at least another, what, 48 hours probably, if not longer than that. So, You imagine by this point how exhausted he is. But look at what he does. The end of verse 3 says, He ran to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He left his servant. He left his servant in Beersheba. And then what does he do? He goes by himself. A day's journey into the wilderness, another 30 miles probably, 20 to 30 miles is a day's journey back then, not for us today, but back then it was, and ran out into the wilderness all by himself. You remember what our third sermon in this series was about? It was about Abraham and how Abraham, every place that he went, he would find those big rocks and he would go and he would begin to to build an altar there because he knew that to worship god together would build strength into his walk with god and so everywhere that they went abraham would build these altars so that the family could come together and worship together he spent time worshiping with lot and that enabled him to be kind to lot even when lot turned his back on him and when lot mistreated him he was still able to go and rescue Lot, and to pour out his own life for Lot, to pray for Lot and for Sodom. He loved Lot because he'd spent time worshiping God together with him. Abraham built strength into his life by worshiping God together, and we spent time in our study guide focusing on how Jesus also brought that experience to the disciples and taught them To worship God together. There's power when we come together in prayer. Matthew 18 and verse 20 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am right there in the midst of them. It brings the Holy Spirit's presence when we worship God together. When we come together in church, it strengthens us. When we come together at a prayer meeting, it brings strength to our walk with God. When we have a prayer partner and we pray with that prayer partner, it brings strength into our relationship with God. When we daily spend time with our family, be it our spouse or just the prayer partner, or be it with our children to have family worship, it builds strength into our entire family's walk with God. If only Elijah hadn't left his servant behind. If only he said, wait, let's pray together about this. Let's see, is this God's will? Are we doing the right thing? But no, he left his servant behind in Beersheba and kept running all by himself. If only he'd been Willing to have the experience of Abraham to worship God together. But verse 4 continues, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. If only he had been listening to the voice of God. If only he had been recognizing God's word in all of this. You know, the next sermon that we went into, if you look on your, your sheet there, was the experience of David. How David walked closely with God despite the errors and the mistakes of David's life, David responded to God's Word. David was immersed in the Word of God. And we too, when we are immersed in the Word of God, will walk closely with God. If only at this point, Elijah had pulled out the scroll of the Psalms that he probably was familiar with at this point. And I would have loved if if he had opened up and read Psalm chapter 31, just think how different this story could have been. Even if he was all the way in Beersheba at this point, and he just said, hey, I've got to hear a word from God. Does anybody have the Bible here that I could open up and read? What if he'd opened up and read Psalm chapter 31? Think of the courage that it would have been brought into his life. Verse 1, this is something written by David a few hundred years before Elijah. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. What if Elijah had read this? What kind of confidence would that have given him in that moment of extremity? And yet, so often, just like Elijah, when a problem comes, you and I run away from that problem for all we're worth, or we try to fix it in our own strength, rather than running to the Word of God and saying, what does God have for me in this situation? But when you come to the Word of God and you read the promises that He has there and you read that He is a rock, He is a fortress, that He will lead you and guide you, at that point in time, it could have led Elijah to pause and say, hmm, maybe I need to ask for some guidance from God right now. Maybe I need to ask for Him to lead me. Maybe I need to remember that He is my rock, that He is my fortress, that I'm not trusting in Him right now like I should be. What if he turned to God like David in that moment. You remember that we talked about the acronym I-O-U-S? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness, Psalm 119.36. It's all there on that, that insert in your bulletin. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law, Psalm 119.18. Unite my heart to fear your name, Psalm 86.11. Satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. As we continue to pray these types of prayers as we come to the Word of God, God's Word will become a foundation, a rock, a fortress for you and I that will shelter us in any time of storm. That will give us confidence no matter what we're facing that when that grizzly charges at us, it won't be a big deal because we have our feet firmly planted on the word of God. Psalm 119:105 says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. If only in the darkness Elijah had been relying on the word of God to be his light, to be his lamp, how much different this story could have been for Elijah. But unfortunately, he turned and he ran. Back in Psalm in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we pick up the story again. And we read how he runs a day's journey into the wilderness. And that wilderness, it's the same wilderness that the Israelites spent 40 years wandering around in. He's there in that same wilderness and he comes down and he finds this broom tree or juniper tree and he lays down under it. And look at the prayer that he prays. This is Elijah, that mighty man of God who had so much confidence in God that he could face 850 prophets that he could face an angry king, that he could face anybody and tell them that God was going to respond to prayer. And here he is, laying under a broom tree. You can't blame him. He's run 150 miles at this point. He's exhausted. He falls down under this broom tree, exhausted, and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough now. Lord, take my life for I am no better than my fathers. He's suicidal. He's completely lost all hope because he has not been clinging to who God is, to the character of God, to recognizing that God is his fortress. He's lost all hope in a mere period of days from being on a mountaintop where he saw God bring fire down from heaven. He saw the people reformed and saying, Yahweh is God here he is laying under a broom tree in the wilderness saying, God, I just want to die. I don't know how many times you may have been at this place in your life, but I want to tell you something. You're not alone. Some of the very best men in all of history have gone through what you may even be going through today and feeling like you've lost hope, like you don't know how to go on, like like there's no place for you to turn to anymore. Elijah the mighty man of God had a nature just like yours, and he understands what it's like. He knew what it was like to come up against a situation that he finally just felt like he had no hope anymore. He just wanted to give up and die. If only Elijah, at this point, had remembered the experience of our fifth journey in, our, in this series of Jacob. If only he'd remembered how Jacob, when he tried to wrestle in his own strength, he tried to accomplish things in his own strength, he ended up being the deceiver who had to run and flee for his life. But when he finally recognized that Jesus is the ladder, the only one who connects heaven and earth, when he finally came face to face with Jesus, he clung to Jesus and said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob was in a moment of extremity himself. In that moment, Jacob could have just said, all right, I give up. I just want to die because I've messed up and I've brought myself to this place and Esau is going to kill me tomorrow anyway, so why don't you kill me and put me out of my misery now? He could have done just like Elijah did, but instead he recognized that in Jesus is a Savior that's bigger than all of our mistakes. In Jesus is a Savior who's bigger than all of our trials. In Jesus is a Savior who's bigger than all the Queen Jezebels, than all the grizzlies that bear down to take us out. In Jesus is someone worth clinging to for all your worth and saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. If only Elijah had remembered that at this moment. And rather than praying, oh Lord, just let me die out here. If in this moment he'd clung to Jesus and said, Jesus, I don't understand what's going on. I probably shouldn't have run out here, but I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's what it takes for a closer walk with God. That's what God is longing for you and I to have, the kind of faith that sees in God somebody so beautiful, so wonderful, that we reach out and cling to Him because we know that He has goodness to pour out into our lives. But Elijah didn't. Elijah laid there and said, Lord, just let me die. I don't want to go on. I'm no better than anybody else. It's time for me just to die. But here's the good news. Keep reading. In verse 5, it says, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Do you see the good news here? Though you may lose your hold on Jesus, Jesus never loses his hold on you. This morning you may be saying, I don't have the strength to hang on to Jesus and to tell him, To not let me go, and I'm not going to let him go until he blesses me. You may not feel like you have what it takes to get out of the pit of depression that you're in right now, out of the trials that you're facing right now. But the good news is that Jesus does not leave you alone, that he's right there with you. Just look at the compassion that God deals with Elijah in. At this moment, he could have showed up and rebuked Elijah saying, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. My prophet is running away from an angry woman who threatened to kill him with a messenger and I did all of this for you already and now what are you doing? But instead, look at what God does. Sends an angel who touches him, says arise and eat. And Elijah looks over verse six. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank But not only did this angel come from God and bring him food from heaven and water, but then he lay down again and he sleeps some more. God lets him eat and sleep. It's one of the most amazing things, especially for men, when they're going through a difficult time, There's a meal and a good night's sleep, especially if you haven't slept in a while and you've run 150 miles. Then verse 7, it continues, And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Elijah is running away from his mission. Elijah is running in the wrong direction. If anybody shouldn't have a close walk with God right now, it's Elijah. Because he's turned his back on everything that God has called him to do. And yet at this moment in time, God shows up for him. God gives him food. God gives him water. God gives him rest. And God says, okay, the journey that you've chosen to go on is going to be a long, hard one. Running through that wilderness, he has another 200 miles to go, probably about 170 miles at this point. He knows, God knows where he's headed, that he's got another 170 miles that he's going to go. And he says, it's too great for you. You got to eat some more. You got to drink. You need your rest. Do you see how gracious God is? How good God is? If only at this moment, Elijah had realized, wow, Look at what a God I have. Here He is showing up for me and bringing me water, bringing me bread and letting me sleep and bringing me more bread, bringing me more water. I love what it says in the, the book Prophets and Kings talking about this story. It says, Did, page 166, it says, Did God forsake Elijah in his hour of trial? Oh no. He loved his servant no less when Elijah felt himself forsaken of God and man than when in answer to his prayer, fire flashed from heaven and illuminated the mountaintop. He loved him no less when he was laying there under that broom tree, having run from the Queen Jezebel, than he loved him when he was there standing up to all of Jezebel's prophets and praying for fire to come down from heaven. That's the kind of God you serve. He loves you not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. He loves you because of who you are and who he's created you to be. And now as Elijah slept, a soft touch and a pleasant voice awoke him. If only we expected that Jesus wants to bless our lives. If, like Jacob, we would just cling to God and hold on to God and say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And really, that would be the transformational experience that we would need in order to have this radical faith and the love that God calls us to have. That's what we saw in John's experience, wasn't it? John, who was first called a son of thunder, who was the one who wanted fire to be called down from heaven on the entire Samaritan village just because they wouldn't host Jesus. John, who wanted to have the first place in the kingdom of heaven. John, who was rebuking those who were casting out demons. John was transformed into being the beloved disciple Because he pressed close to Jesus. I wish in this time that Elijah had recognized the love that Jesus had for him. Here, Jesus has provided for him bread and water, he's provided for him sleep and then more bread and water. If only Jesus' blessings were recognized by Elijah at this point in time, how would that have increased his faith? But instead, he just keeps on running. And how often in my life am I so busy facing the challenges that I think I need to handle in my life, the anxieties that are are burdening me, and I'm just focused on all of the problems rather than focused on who my God is. And because of that, just like Elijah, I'm running in the wrong direction. If only I opened myself up to the love of God like John did And like in our study that week, we looked at how Mary opened herself up to the love of God, how she recognized the blessing of God in Lazarus, who was sitting there at the table when she anointed Jesus. And she recognized the love of God to the place where she sat at Jesus' feet, where she was the first one to go to the tomb, where she experienced the radical forgiveness of God in her life. I want to press close to Jesus, like John did at the Last Supper, like Mary did at the feast at Simon's house. I want to press close to Jesus and recognize his love in my life because that will keep me from running like Elijah did. But Elijah keeps on running. Back in 1 Kings chapter 19, we just read... Verse 7, now verse 8 says, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now he went to this point probably another 170 miles, and how long does it take him to get there? Forty days and forty nights. Now he's going at this point through a very difficult section of wilderness. You remember some of the challenges and trials that the Israelites faced from fiery serpents to not having enough water, not having enough food, all different kinds of problems that they were facing. This is the wilderness that Elijah is running through in order to get to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. But it's interesting that it takes him 40 days. Now, if you divide that out, he's going maybe four or five miles a day. Whereas before, he was running some 30 to 100 miles a day trying to get away from Jezebel. At this point, he's slowed down. He's taking his time. God has strengthened him. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's got this amazing strength that's from those two cakes of bread and from that water from heaven. Man, I wish that I had access to that kind of food, don't you? Here he is going through the wilderness. He's got this strength. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's just going. And he has to have time to think at this point. He has to have time to remember what God has done, and to think, what am I doing? Where am I going? Why am I running like this? But verse 9 continues, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. It's interesting that Moses on Mount Sinai was hid in the cleft of a rock. Maybe it was a, a cave similar to this, or maybe this was the exact cave where Moses had gone into and God had hidden him in that cleft in the rock while his glory passed by, while he showed him that he's a God gracious and forgiving, generous, and willing to to forgive. So here's Elijah hiding in a cave, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? If only at this point he'd responded like David when Criticism from God's word came. When God's word came and pointed out to David that he was the murderer, that he was the adulterer, that he had made mistakes. But instead, Elijah responds like this. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Picture this. Elijah is now going to get to experience the very presence of God. And God's wanting to reveal something to him. He's gone on this journey, running away from God. And God wants to grab his attention at this moment in time. And he wants to realign his focus. And so here's how God does it. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. How many of you have ever seen a wind this strong? A wind that would actually break rocks into pieces. That's got to be a pretty strong wind. He's there on the mountain. Wind is breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Here's this powerful wind that's, that's beyond anything that Elijah has ever experienced before. It's breaking rocks. But that's not where God's presence is. Then it continues. It says, and after the wind and earthquake, the earth begins to shake. And, and it actually says in Isaiah that, that when God's presence comes down, it shakes the mountains. But it says that the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, now when God came down on Mount Sinai, it was a consuming fire. His presence was like a consuming fire there. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you see what God wanted to do for Elijah? He wanted to to open his eyes to the fact that God doesn't just always show up in the powerful moments in time. God doesn't just show up with a fire coming down from heaven. God doesn't just show up by sending mighty storms. But oftentimes, it's by the presence of his Spirit that still, small voice, when we take the time to be still and to know that He is God, that is the most powerful moment in your life. That is what will deepen your walk with God like nothing else would. So often we're looking for miracles. We're looking for amazing moments in our experience with God, and those are what we cling to. But the most amazing thing is that the King of the universe comes close to you and speaks to you, just like He did with Moses, face to face as a man to His friend. To hear the still small voice of God is more valuable than anything else. Samuel learned this. We talked about it last week. Samuel's whole ministry was based on that simple prayer Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. As we pray that prayer in our lives and we allow God to speak to us, we take the time to be still in His presence. We listen to His voice through His Word and He speaks into our lives. He can lead us on that same radical life of ministry that He led Samuel on. We talked about it last week how God used him to be an intercessor. God used him to work mighty miracles. God used him to be a prayer warrior. So many different ways God used Samuel because he prayed that simple prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God wanted to remind Elijah of the importance of being still in his presence, of coming and listening to his voice. The experience of Elijah, Elijah is so valuable for us. For us today, we too face the same kind of challenges that Elijah did. Though it may not be an angry queen, it might be an angry boss, or it might be an angry husband, an angry wife, it might be an angry child, we too face challenges like Elijah did. Will we hang on to Jesus in those times? Will we remember what it takes for a closer walk with God? In Prophets and Kings, page 174, it says, and so it is today, talking about Elijah, the same experience we have today. When we are encompassed with doubt and perplexed by circumstances or afflicted by poverty or distress, Satan seeks to shake our confidence in Jehovah. The enemy seeks to shake your confidence by sending you trials, by sending you perplexing situations, by placing doubts in your mind. It is then that he arrays before us our mistakes and tempts us to distrust God, to question his love. He hopes to discourage the soul and break our hold on God. This is his goal in your life. And if you think about it, that's the only reason that we ever really do doubt. That's the only reason for our lack of faith is that we lose hold on who God is. That He is our loving Father who's watching out for our lives and that He will do anything that it takes to save us from our sins. If only we lived in a life like Enoch. If only we clung to God like Jesus clung to God when He was here walking on earth. Prophets and Kings, page 174, says this, In the darkest days, when appearances seem most forbidding, fear not. Have faith in God. He knows your need. He has all power. His infinite love and compassion never weary. Fear not that He will fail of fulfilling His promise. He is eternal truth. Never will He change the covenant He has made with those who love Him. And He will bestow upon His faithful servants the measure of efficiency that their need demands when we truly believe this in our lives. All anxiety will be gone. All of our perplexity about the situations that we face will be done away with because we can just have confidence in the King of Kings who loves us and cares for every detail of our lives. And then we won't run away like Elijah did. It's crucial that we grasp this. Prophets and Kings page 175 says this, The records of sacred history are written not merely that we may read and wonder, but that the same faith which wrought in God's servants of old may work in us. In no less marked a manner will the Lord work now wherever there are hearts of faith to be channels of His power. God wants to work in your heart and in your life just like He worked in Enoch's life. He wants to take you on a journey of walking closer and closer with Him. He wants to work in your life just like He worked in Joshua's life. He wants you to be able to pray prayers like Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still. He wants to work in your life just like he worked in Abraham's life. As you worship God together with others, he wants for you to have the same strength in your walk with God. He wants you to have the same walk that David had that was willing to cling to the Word of God even when it cuts. He wants you to have the same faith that Jacob had who was willing to cling to Jesus, that ladder, who he knew alone was the way of salvation and to say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He wants you to press close to the loving heart of God, just like John, to press closer and closer, no matter how difficult times may be, until you experience and receive the love of God in your life. And he wants you to pray the prayer of Samuel Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And he wants to take you on a radical journey of affecting and impacting others' lives as you listen to that still, small voice. And he wants for you to learn from Elijah's experience. Don't turn and run, but turn to your loving Father. Trust Him. When things look dark, when the storm is raging around you, when it feels like you can't go on, cling to Jesus. Don't run away like Elijah did. Learn the lesson that God taught Elijah on Mount Horeb. God doesn't always just show up with marvelous manifestations. Sometimes it's with a still, small voice. That's how he transforms hearts in the most radical and dramatic way. Friends, if only we would be still and know that he is God. It would radically transform our lives, and we too could have a close walk with God, just like each and every one, of these. I want to encourage you. Take this home with you and remember these things. Put it somewhere where you won't forget the journey that we've been on, the experiences that we've seen in these different lives. On the other side, when you go into your life group this week, it's going to go through just reviewing some of the lessons that we have taken away from each study guide over the past seven weeks. This is week eight. Don't let this moment pass by. There's nothing more important for you and I than that we walk more closely with Jesus. We're facing a time of trouble like we've never seen before. We see the winds of strife are beginning to blow on this planet and we've got to have a close hold on Jesus. We've got to trust in his love because before long you are going to face a grizzly bearing down on you. You're going to face an angry Queen Jezebel. How are you going to handle it? Will you turn and run like Elijah or will you cling to Jesus like Jacob? I hope, I pray that we'll learn from these experiences so that we too can have the walk with God that these men of old had because we're living in times of even greater import than they lived in and God wants to work in even greater reformation today than he did in the days of Elijah. If you want to continue to think about and to ponder these things, and to pray these prayers, to continue to deepen your walk with Jesus by focusing on these experiences, I want to invite you to stand with me as I pray, and just to to signify to God saying, hey, I really want a closer walk with you. I really want the experience of Enoch. I want the experience of Joshua, and Abraham, and David, and I want the experience of Jacob, and John, and Samuel, and Elijah, and most of all, I want to walk with a Father, like Jesus modeled for me to walk with a Father. Let's pray together. Father, we're standing before you and our promises are like ropes of sand, but God, we're really wanting to walk more closely with you. We all know that we will face experiences that we don't know how to handle. Oh God, increase our faith in who you are, that you are our loving Father. And that all we need to do is to cling to You as our only way of salvation and that You will walk through us through the sto- with us through the storm, that You will carry us through and that You will guide us all the way to heaven. Father, thank You so much that You didn't answer Elijah's prayer under that broom tree. Thank You that You didn't have an empty, nameless tomb for him in the wilderness, but instead You took him up in a chariot of fire and that he was one who got to come and encourage Jesus on this planet. Lord, increase our faith, increase our expectation of what you want to do in our experience, God. So often, just like Elijah, we think that all hope is gone, that, that we've experienced all that there is to experience, and you are saying, if you only had any idea what I have in store for you, I want for you to be translated. I want to take you to heaven. Lord God, increase our faith. May we not make the same mistake that Elijah made. May we cling to Jesus. May we have hope. May we have confidence in our King of Kings is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.